Hello and welcome to episode number three of the What So What Now What podcast. Ravi, how are you today? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, not doing too badly myself. And how are you? How's the uh, the beast from the east treating you? <laughs> I think it's just about left the UK. Uh, for those of you uh, not familiar with the beast from the east, it's a Siberian weather storm that basically visited the United Kingdom. It thought it needed to come and visit our lonely island. So yeah. we've been pretty much snowed in. But it's funny because in the UK, when there's snow, we run around in like hysterics, whereas most other European countries are like, hmm, yeah, whatever. Exactly. <laughs> and I, I think I was quite lucky in that I escaped for this uh, for this two week period. So I'm back over in the US for two weeks uh, in New Jersey. So I've completely um, missed the snowstorm and the snow ends and the travel chaos that's been going on. <laughs> You'll come back to uh, what should actually be a spring rather than like a deep winter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, today's the 5th of March and today's episode we're basically talking about personal identity and data. But before we do that, we thought it'd be a good idea just to catch up on what we've been up to. It's been a little while since our last podcast, and um, that's been because we've been busy. So Ravi, what have you been up to? Yeah, so since the last pod, I think the biggest thing that I've been up to is well, I went to the Optifro Forum. So those of you that don't know what the Optifro Pro Forum is, Optifro is a sports data company, and I've attended their forum for the last three years now. So this was my third forum. Um, it's really good fun. So it's basically where... Um, <clears throat> They probably get a lot of uh, football, soccer uh, analysts and coaches and scouts and things from clubs themselves, uh, as well as people from the uh, the blogging community. So this is um, my journey into Tableau was through sort of using public sports data and visiting them, uh, as okay. well as doing a bit of blogging on them. So um, yeah, I, I, I've submitted a proposal for the last couple of years as well, um, but it's one of my favorite times of the year because you get to not only meet the people that... I interact with the sports analytics side on Twitter, but also seeing what's happening within clubs themselves. Um, so it was really good fun this year, some really interesting ideas. Uh, and yeah, it was good fun to catch up with some people. Uh, they did changed the format a bit this year. They had a Q&A session with Devin Plula, who's okay. um, he's director of analytics at Toronto FC, who uh, they won the MLS Cup this year. So MLS okay. Cup is like the big US soccer trophy that you can win. Um, and they also had Luke Bourne, who's who, who's famously actually gone on Twitter rants about how data viz in sport is generally a bit bad and it's never really thought through properly. Um, he yeah. has a personal vendetta against radars, for example. Um, okay. I mean, it makes sense, right? Because if a radar chart isn't contextualized properly, it's just a shape, it's a polygon, right? Uh, but, but everyone uh, loves radar charts from FIFA, right? Exactly, it's FIFA, right? It's, it's that sort of, <laughs> you, you you always correlate radar charts with sports. And I think, I, I personally like them because if you've contextualized and explained what properly exactly what your what each area being filled means, then it's useful and you can quickly compare different polygons. But if you're looking for okay. more values, then absolutely not. It's not the right chart choice. So, But yeah, it was good fun. I enjoyed it. Um Great chatting Ooh. with people at um, clubs and things like this. And we're slowly seeing more advanced statistics in uh, the European game. For example, expected goals on match of the day now is the uh, go-to quick win for the analytics community. 
So it was a good twelve. Good stuff. So sports analytics all the way there. That's, yeah, that's absolutely fascinating. Um, I've personally been, uh, I've been, I guess, being more bunkered down. I went to uh, the Tableau Train the Trainer course um, mm-hmm. just over a week ago now. So I spent a week over at the Tableau London HQ and um, essentially spent some time with them, learning how to be a better trainer. Uh, specifically for Tableau, but I think much of what I learned was actually transferable across, um, you know, pretty much all training and actually speaks back to the episode where we talked about learning um, and, you know, the, the ask I had for people who teach other people to kind of, you know, help them along rather than just, you know, offer solutions for them. And it was really, it was really interesting. There was about 10 of us there um, from lots of, um, you know, different companies uh, in Europe. In fact, I think I was the only English um, uh, person in the class, uh, which which is which is quite rare. Normally, train the train is full of a lot of uh, sort of London folk. So um, yeah, as it was really interesting to see the different cultures. One thing I never really had appreciation of is the way different cultures um, perceive and understand training. And it's really fascinating how that then sort of changes the learning experience for those mm-hmm. for those people. Mm-hmm. And then how you as a trainer have to sort of not necessarily compensate, but actually work with some of those strengths and benefits to make it sort of, you know, meet your uh, meet your needs. So that that was that was a really good experience. Um, that was uh, just over a week ago. And more recently, I've actually had a bit of time off. Um, so I've been taking sort of sporadic time off. The beast for me has ruined my staycation plans. So uh, <laughs> I was meant to go away <laughs> for four days and that, that didn't happen. So um, uh, today I'm still off. And all I've been doing is plowing time into Zelda on the Nintendo Switch. So <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, the, the Switch so, is definitely a piece of kit that I'm, I'm really tempted to get into because it's just really nice to have something portable as well as a console or you put on your TV. I don't know how you, what are your, what are your thoughts on it? Oh, it's, it's sensational. Um, this is not going to be a Zelda or Nintendo switch podcast. It could very easily <laughs> turn into that. So yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all I'll say for now. It's a sensational console. I massively underestimated the flexibility. It has three modes. Essentially you can either dock it to your TV uh, and that you play through your TV you can, um, it has a kickstand, so you can just um, put the screen on a table, uh, put the stand out so it stands on its own, and then you can use the controllers and almost play in like a shared experience. Or you can put the controllers into the Switch itself and hold it like a traditional Game Boy. That's probably what most people are familiar with. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing just being able to switch those modes um, as and when. And it just means you can play the console for longer because when you're at home, it's in the TV. When you're on the go, it's in your hand. When you're, you know, lunchtime and you're with colleagues, it's on the table. And it's it just fits so many use cases. I'm playing a very solo um, game at the moment, Zelda. But um, I played Mario Kart and uh, with a couple of people and it's it's amazing. Like, I, I didn't think you could have that kind of engagement with people through a console in that way so yeah, yeah hats off to nintendo especially a handheld console right yeah exactly exactly and um, the funny thing is you think the graphics are awful actually you know the game design is really good and it's gone to the point where i think uh you don't pay attention to the graphics because the game quality is that good and it's mm-hmm. that high it's got that nintendo feel to it so um everything about it is just it's just really really good i love it i love it <laughs> good stuff so um Going back to our topic today, personal identity and data. So, what's the what today? What is our what is the like? So the what side of our podcast? Okay, so this is a topic that I've been massively interested in for 
I don't know how long, um, largely because I'm a big uh, quantified self sort of addict. Uh, quantified self just basically means you collect data about yourself um, with a view of helping uh, improve a certain aspect of your life. But sometimes you don't necessarily have to do that. You right. could collect it and you know improve your life many years later when something starts to change in your life, right? So mm-hmm. it's also about uh, future, historical, and and the present. And I wanted to sort of you know, take a step back and look at how technology and data and personal identity and data are sort of um, this really sort of busy playground of discussion at the moment where everything seems to be centered around it. And I guess the what's of this is kind of can be broken down into three areas. Firstly, you know, what's collected about you, right? What do people know? What do companies know? What can people find out about you just using data that you yourself Mm -hmm. have created? Uh, the second is how much do you know like what do you know about yourself that is out there uh, and the last thing is no does it bother you right yeah. so the, those so the, it's kind of like a complex topic because there's three what's in there but they all sort of link into each other so i i don't know your thoughts so far yeah it's, it's sort of a nexus of what's right it's like so we're looking at these three different aspects that are interlinked and it funnels down to you as an individual but then it, at a meta level, that that information about the individual is exactly what we're talking about. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it, it's it's interesting because I'm me, myself and my family are fairly. Uh, we don't like we, we we like our privacy, right? Like we've always been um, advocates of keep my data to myself unless absolutely necessary. And it's sort of something that's sort of, uh, I guess, um, imprinted upon me as I've grown older. So I'm very conscious of all the different ways of collecting data, some some of the passive and some of the active levels, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that sort of what's collected about you and how much you know, those are two very strong factors. And I think this is where the sort of wider discussion comes into place because I think people don't, either they don't realise or they feel like they're not explicitly told when data is being collected about them. When in reality, I, I'm almost at the stage in my life where I'm thinking... Uh, you know, all I just know all data is collected about me. Like I mean, I just yeah. I just accept that, and then I want to then make an active movement to say I want to shut off this panel or restrict this panel. Like the the streams of data I'm giving out, I I feel like now I know that everything can be and is being like monitored or collected. I feel like I can turn those taps slightly, but of course I don't think that taps ever fully ever can turn off because. You know, unless you become a hermit, um, there's there's not really much much likelihood of you disappearing off the face of the earth. Everyone has a data imprint now. Exactly, and um, it's it's interesting what you say. I mean, I have a very similar stance, and I'm probably more liberal than most. I'm actually a proponent for having your data in services, um, because and this is the big but, and this is the big because because if those companies can offer you better services and better um, sort of, I guess, uh, packages of, of, of stuff that they can offer you. Maybe it's Facebook and they want to offer you a way to connect with your friends or maybe it's Apple and they want to offer you um, an iCloud storage solution so you can keep all your photos on in the cloud rather than on your phone to free up some space. If those things are targeted and work in a way that actually enhance your life and an important bit, you're more than happy to offer your privacy as an exchange to access those things. I don't have a problem with with that particular sort of way of thinking. And the reason is this. 
um, before these social uh, networks um, existed, before these services existed, I mean, I don't even, I don't even people can remember what was life, <laughs> what life was like. Um, life before Google. Exactly. Like we as a society have opted into this way of working because it offers such epic amounts of convenience mm-hmm. and capability to us that we've just sort of taken for granted that all of this, all of this has to be somehow um, resourced and somehow built and somehow created. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, companies can cross the line. But mm-hmm. I do think where there's a healthy balance between, OK, company X, I will give you this information if you can offer me this kind of um, service. The best example I can give is Google Photos. Now, that thing is just sensational. Uh, this might even become an advert for Google Photos if I'm not careful. <laughs> You know, three years ago, they started by saying, hey, um, hey, everyone, have unlimited uh, photo storage. And initially, I was like, whoa, there, easy now. What are you going to start doing? You're going to start looking at my photos and then look at this. But the offer was this, you know, put your photos into the cloud. In a few months, we'll start telling you interesting things about what's in your photos. We'll start editing it for you. We'll start making albums for you. We'll also start making it easy for you to search. We'll start putting together memories of your holidays. And... I have something like 80,000 photos and videos, okay? And for me, that's a sensational, that's a sensational offering. So, you know, as soon as that came out, I spent, uh, I think the best part of three weeks uploading all my stuff onto Google. And then two weeks later, it, it just completely revolutionized my photo album. There's no way on earth I could have done anything close to what Google has done so far with my photo management and organization. And better yet, they keep adding functionality and features to it. Mm. How does this help Google? It trains their AI so that they can look at pretty much any photo or video um, so they can make sense of things. They can probably build like a 3D visual map of the world using everyone's photos, okay? Now, am I bothered by that? Not so much because guess what? I love Google Street View when (laughs) when I'm going somewhere and I I have no (laughs) clue where it is. Now, if I happen to be in that Google Street View video and they've forgotten to mask up my face, do I care? Yes. And so there needs to be this balance of like, you know, benefit for the user, but also, you know, being careful about infringing on people's privacy. And so what people don't often do is find out ways they can A, control, you know, certain aspects of what, you know, these companies can and can't do with their data. But then there's this other aspect, which is people don't do a good enough job of actually critiquing privacy properly. Um, that you know, they critique the wrong things. And we'll come to this a, a bit later in, you know, in the so what. But you know, that, that, that's my general stance. As long as a company can offer me a genuinely meaningful benefit for me to give them their data, I will do it. Because to me, I used to pay for photo management services. I used to pay 30, 40 pounds a month. And none of them can do what Google's doing with my photos today. Mm-hmm. And I think... And I think the the nicest, the easiest way to explain Google, like as a business model, um, is that that that's that's your payment. Like you you're you've got this service that allows you to access and index every single every single website on the internet, every single image. You know, as a start of what Google does, as a crux of what Google started off being, and now it's sort of grown into this massive beast. But if we think about Google in that sort of way, as we have, are using its service to find far-reaching parts of the internet then actually the trade-off there is you're paying them in your privacy data you're paying them by saying i am using this this internet in this web browser uh, at this time searching this certain thing 
it's linked to I'm signed in on my um my email account so now you have an idea of who I am and what my emails are and I'm, I'm building this profile that they can use to either be smarter about what search returns mm-hmm. or be offer that as a service saying like okay uh if to, to a company they said you know doing SEO like who are looking for smarter search engine optimization they can say well uh, how about we help you target you know the 20 20 to 28 year old um, person looking for um, information about data visualization uh, on a regular basis during his workday. That's who we'll target. And within the first page of results, your website will, will appear. Like that's, that's the trade off that exists. And that, that is, is exactly it. this sort of thing. If you're aware of that transaction and it's okay, fine. Like that, that's, that's okay. You're happy with that. But it's when they're saying, well, actually we can point you out as a, 22 year old um asian a uh, person of asian her- heritage who went to university in plymouth and works in london and works for all these different clients because we can see you on the different networks then it gets a bit tricky right then it gets a bit of like well actually you know exactly who i am and where i am so um, exactly and some of that and some of that comes down to ethics right like mm-hmm. um what are the ethics of this company and it, it's funny because uh, a good comparison point uh, i'm just going to use google as the big bad evil you know person in this <laughs> in this story and i'm going to um people would expect this of me but i'm going to use apple as a <laughs> as maybe a more <laughs> ethical player here <laughs> we were laughing cuz i i'm a big apple fan so <laughs> of course i'd pitch google as the evil one the and apple as the bad yeah. one but where I'm going with this is this, um, you know, Apple sort of took this um, line of, um, you know, privacy is so important to us and it's so, so fundamental the way we work that we're never going to infringe on your privacy. So much so that we're going to build AI. So instead of matching your photos in the cloud, we're going to match them on your actual phone. So nothing ever goes to the cloud, right? It sounds mm-hmm. like a great story. And then they were like, oh, yes, um, you know, you know, when you're typing messages and new words come up all the time and wouldn't it be great if autocorrect to pick these up? I know we'll invent something called differential privacy where we'll basically create so much noise that our computers won't know that it's actually you talking to us. And then when we get the information back, um, it'll be great because we'll then be able to see all these words and, and, and do all this stuff. And guess where that's going? Absolutely nowhere. Like on my phone, on my phone, photos is awful. I mean, I'm I'm a big Apple fan, but my God, the worst thing on my handset is the way it ha- handles photos. It takes days to like find three people in photos. It, mm-hmm. it can't do face recognition uh, to save its life. You have to, it has to do it overnight. It uses your battery if you if you if you don't if you don't leave it doing right. It uh, it doesn't synchronize faces between your Mac and your iPhone. So two devices will both be doing the same analysis at the same time <laughs> and none of them will talk to each other. It's like it's like what's going on here? And this is the funniest thing. Uh, you take Google's approach where everything is done in the cloud, it means they can update it frequently all the time, right? And you know, I see the at benefits scale. of that. At scale, exactly. Apple, if there's a problem wrong with say, oh, there's this character that you know makes our iPhone crashes, they have to send out an update, like yeah. an iOS update to fix an AI issue because because they don't do anything in the cloud. And that 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 to me is just like you know, I, I get the point about privacy, but there's an, a really good example where it just doesn't work. And so, you know, you again, I'm going back to this point about balance. There has to be a healthy balance between the two. And 
we're kind of getting into the so what's now, and yeah, uh, we're gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna use Facebook as a really bad example of you know where a company really has crossed the line. Um, Facebook used to be a platform where there were no photos. Do you remember those days? No, no. I mean, I, oh, I got Facebook man. in two thousand nine. So, <laughs> man, I joined Facebook. I was uh, the second uh, York, I think, was the second or the third university in the UK to get Facebook. Did I joined to, Facebook. Did I you have, joined Facebook? Sorry, go on. Yeah. Did you have to like um, give your .ac.uk thing? Like you know. In, in... Yes. Oh wow. Yes. Okay. That that's how old school I am. Man. Wow. <laughs> Like I joined Facebook with my exactly with my university email, and not only that, I had to wait for an invite. When I got in, I could invite ten people, and it was crazy. It literally took over uh, communication on our campus, and it happened right at the beginning of our university uh, year, two thousand six, when I started. Right, so. And then three months later, they introduced status updates. Because before, all you could do was just be like, hey, I'm Tim, here's my profile. And you could just look at profiles. And they introduced, like, status updates. I, I, I enjoy that status updates used to be, Tim and Grainer is whatever. And it's like, yeah. people people followed that same, um, like, process. And when I joined, <laughs> I was like, why is everyone doing this? It's so weird. It's like, Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And eventually they hit the they hit the nail on the head with photos, right? You mm. can upload photos. Now, they've been collecting everyone's photos. Most people, I think 90% of people, if you ask them where do they keep their photos, they'll say Facebook, okay? Mm. Not on their phones, not on a USB drive, not on an external hard drive. They'll just say, oh yeah, I uploaded them to Facebook. Now, over the last decade, Facebook's photo recognition capabilities and photo management capabilities have gone exponential no no least because they acquired instagram mm -hmm. <laughs> like the world's biggest photo platform yeah but what they've been doing in the background is they've been building facial recognition software into this and the thing is that facial recognition software has the ability to go back in time and look at stuff you uploaded a decade ago right mm -hmm. so something really scary happened to me and i, I was really quite uh, partly offended, but basically what Facebook did is it realized that I tagged certain people in my albums a lot and it was using those tags because we all spent time tagging people, right? Mm -hmm. As a way of training the, the facial recognition algorithm. And then I uploaded a photo of those people about, you know, five, six, seven years later because I, I stopped using photos uh, on Facebook. I uploaded a photo and it automatically said, hey, is this this person? Is this this person? Is this this person? Mm -hmm. And I was like, uh, I didn't ask it to do this. I like I didn't I didn't ask it to go through and look at these photos. And I was like, how does it know who these people are? So I had a little quick Google. And it turns out that in the back end, Facebook is not only doing this and offering you the capability, it's mm -hmm. actually doing face recognition all the time anyway. Yeah. So even if I don't tag you or you don't uh, express explicitly give yourself the permission to be tagged, it's still tagging you anyway, and it's keeping that somewhere. Just in case you decide to join, upload a photo, and it can go to you, hey, oh, hey, 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 are these 20 photos of you? We'll help you build a photo album and help mm -hmm. you choose a profile photo. And that, I believe, is crossing the line because you should be given the explicit, uh, you know, ask, do you want to be tagged on Facebook? Yeah. Or do you want me to tag and look at these photos? I'm not just uploading content, you know, for my own benefit. And yes, I'm uploading it onto their service. But just a simple ask would help that ethical sort of line be a little bit less fuzzy. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I've been on Facebook for a good good chunk of years now. Like, I had it for a couple of years and then I left it. Um, and since then, I've, it's, it's taken a massive nosedive, right? Because there's so much 
going on in terms of how they use your data in your profile and how they optimize your feed like all these you've read the news article about how facebook have used you know your um your emotion they've tried to see if they can alter your emotions by structuring your feed in such a way yeah. where to see if you're happy or sad but and you know in the terms and conditions which no one obviously reads um, it <laughs> says that they get, they're able to do this like it's absolutely fine for them to run psychological experiments now Talking again about photos, one of the one of, I read a really interesting article about um, a Tinder recently. So okay. Tinder, the dating app. Um, so if you connect your Instagram to your Tinder, um, mm. what Tinder will do is it will analyze all of your pictures, and then put you in touch with someone who has been to similar places as you. So if you've taken <laughs> a picture in Times Square, uh, it will find you someone and like try to match you with someone who's also been to Times Square, or like if you've been wow. to Rome recently. They will see that oh this person was in Rome for the last two weeks. How about let's let's you know let's give them pictures of this and it's it's fascinating, right? It's it's one of these things where you're like, this is really 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 optimizing it because Tinder started as you're here, someone's like five meters away, you're swipe in left, the swipe yeah, right. swipe, yeah swipe left swipe right. Whereas now it's like okay let's be smart about this like give, let's give you something to talk about off the bat like where you don't have to read their profile or whatever. So it's and, fascinating. I, I mean, and one, this is a massive side note, but the, the, uh, there are loads of academic papers about um, an, analytics on Twitter and Tinder. And it's, it is fascinating. Like people have done analysis on when people's propensity to swipe based on their location, based on <laughs> what where they are at the time. If they're a hotel room, they're more, more likely to swipe than if they're, you know, at their own home. Um, and then also like men versus women, like women apparently swipe about 20, 20% of the time whereas men swipe like 60 to 80% of the time. Like it's it's stuff like this, and it's it's amazing to read because it's like this is, they must have so much data um, just fueling the, the service that they can say, right, how can we make this smarter, better, easier for our users? But I think this is that's maybe a good example of, well, we're, we're helping you, right? Like you've seen the dating adverts for like, um, uh, I don't know, Match.com, where they're like, we, we, we don't just match you on your, uh, like, five things you like we just match you on yeah. exactly who you are like as a person yeah the more information you give us the better we are feeding your the people that work for you um Ravi, you know the advert very well <laughs> I mean, it's it, I, I watch a lot of trash tv right <laughs> um yeah so you know it, it's that sort of thing which is a good trade-off where you're saying well i'm giving myself to you as for the service and i'm getting something back now, yeah. an another aspect to this is advertising, right? So advertising is probably one of the biggest uh, benefactors of a lot of open data. So being able to do targeted advertising optimizes the cost of the advertiser and allegedly is better for the consumer as well because they're only seeing stuff that they're interested in. Uh, and they're not, you know, um, the, the provider of the advert isn't wasting pixels or whatever. Now, one of the most fascinating debates we have coming forward is um the, the the sort of this paradox between the ad blockers and the ad block people so like how are ad blockers reacting to you know um ads you know ad companies saying right okay um this portion of adverts are okay but then we block all this sort of spam and that that's mm -hmm. happening right like they're trying to find this not right balance of saying we can we can allow you to will allow consumers to see these adverts, but will block all of these adverts. And this conversation is ongoing between, you know, Adblock Plus and whatever you use on your browser and everyone else. And I think that's fascinating. 
Yeah, it's an interesting one because there's there's a there's a recognition that you know, and it goes back to the genesis of the internet. The internet was never meant to be monetized. Like the, the whole point not. of the internet, it's just a network. Yeah, and 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 you know, marketeers and companies turned up and they said, "Hmm, I wonder if we can make a living out of this." And newspapers are finding out, you know, the hard way that they can't. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, uh, like as soon as Google and the likes of you know Facebook and Google turned up and they took you know advertising eyes away from print and onto the digital screen, mm. you know, you know these these companies sort of started really struggling and. To, to go back to your point, it's a very interesting balance because people understand that the internet works like this. You know, journalists, you know, content isn't made out of nothing. Even us on this podcast, you know, when we, where I host, where I host the podcast and the way the website is done, mm-hmm. you know, the, there is an economics around that and it's not free. But the internet was built with this mantra and expectation that everything is free. That's why you can just go to any website without any sort of block. And that's why net neutrality in America is causing so many waves because it's starting to break down that that barrier. And ad blockers are, you know, they're an interesting thing because the, 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 the competition between marketeers versus ad blocking is getting really gruesome it's like a it's like a hustle and tussle one of the one of the smartest things i love about marketeers is their ingenuity to get around things like ad blocking and yes. i think <laughs> two two year two three years ago this new concept called uh fingerprinting came into the fort are you familiar with this yeah 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 so it basically creates that identity right and it follows you around yeah Exactly, exactly. So what, what, what marketers did, for those who aren't familiar, is that they said, okay, fine. You want to run ad blockers? Okay, no problem. We're not going to look at cookies. We're not going to do anything to do with ads. All we're going to do is we're going to put maybe a pixel on this page or maybe you know a like button like Facebook and Google does. Those like buttons are actually tracking entities yeah. that track where you go, and they're on everything, right? So they're <laughs> pretty much tracking you everywhere. Um and what we're going to do is we're going to say, we're not going to even look at your IP address. What we're going to say is, if we look at your browser and the way your browser is set up, okay, you're going to have a certain combination of bookmarks, favorites, um, uh, font settings, window size, uh, because your, you know, your screen has a specific dimensions. Um, your IP might be localized within a certain geographic location. Mm-hmm. Um, the three previous sites you might have visited might have been Facebook, The Verge, and uh, Papali. Mm-hmm. So therefore, we reckon with a one in a million chance accuracy that this is you, Tim. And yeah. guess what? It works. <laughs> yeah. And this is what they're doing now. They they don't they don't they're not using cookies. They're not using all this other stuff. They're just using fingerprinting running in the background of so many websites. And a, a great resource for anyone who's curious of how brutal and well this 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 mechanism works is um i recommend an app for google chrome or any browser called ghostery have you heard of this yeah i use ghostery yeah so ghostery is great because what it does is it surfaces and tells you which ad trackers are running on the page that you're currently on and you go to something like i go to the verge and i have ad ads enabled on the verge because i love the the website they, they do great journalism tech journalism and i follow it so i submit myself to the ads and the ads are actually nice they're not like awful but my god the list of trackers is ridiculous like <laughs> yeah. they have something like 47 trackers on that page and it's phenomenal. They're coming, you know, these are Google or Facebook, you know, the big, you know, Twitter, all that kind of stuff. But then you have 
ad agencies yeah. and you know marketing agencies and that all goes into this sort of big pool of information <laughs> that they then use to say okay this is tim so this is ravi so i've just loaded up uh, lifehacker.com and there are yeah. 24 trackers on here like amazon associates <laughs> facebook connect adsense google analytics google ima publisher tag safe frame moat nexus centers quantcast rubicon yeah like 24 different trackers <laughs> on this one site. This is the homepage as well. I've not even clicked on an article. And you're um, going there to hack your life. <laughs> exactly. And I'm like trying to figure out how to... And it's funny because Lifehacker, like Lifehacker really did... Like they told me about Mutor and the one... Oh, sorry, not Mutor. Uh, Mublock, the, um, the, the the ad blocker I used. Um, they told me about Ghostry. They told me about HTTPS Anywhere. Like these sites, it's really ironic that these sites that tell you about all these things to get around are also doing the same thing. Oh, so yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's... Yeah, so a nice segue from there is if you've got so much passive tracking, is Google, are Google and Facebook listening to me on my microphone? Like, is my microphone <laughs> always turned on? Oh, my word. This this debate really uh, angers me um, because I, I'll, I'll burst the myth right here, right now. Lots of people think that Facebook... Uh, Google is listening to them on their phone and their microphone and they think that's why their battery dies really quickly. Um, that is a huge myth. Uh, they don't do any such thing. What they do do is something even scarier in my opinion because you know what? If they listened to me and uh, they got some information about me and then showed me adverts, I'd actually think, oh, that's plausible. That's nice because I have an Amazon Alexa in my house and it's always listening so that when I say, hey, Alexa, it's going to fire up, okay? But the thing is... These companies are doing something much, much more scary. And I had a debate with a friend of mine and I said to them, like, you know, you do realize that, you know, even if you weren't on Facebook, they can they can still buy your data. They can still find out who you are and they can probably find out why you're not on Facebook. And they probably target you with ads saying, come on Facebook. And then when you get on Facebook, they'll be like, OK, you know, this person has actually joined. Good work. Good work. Um, now, let's track this journey and now target if <laughs> 70,000 other people who are also not on Facebook with the yeah. same method because we need to now yeah. know this one works. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And here's the thing, uh, a really simple example. And um, lots of people don't think about this. They think, oh, yes, you know, my bank data, my finances, all very nice, safe and secure. Wrong. Those companies sell your data to, guess what, credit reference agencies. Credit reference agencies are in the business of letting other companies mm -hmm. know the kind of people that are good to lend money to, good to do business with, and yeah. also just in the business of telling people about the kind of people exist in the world. Yeah, anyone so who wants what? to buy it. <laughs> yeah, they sell that data and they, you know, they make a good attempt to de-anonymize it, but that's fine because if you're Facebook and Google and you've been tracking people for as long as you've been tracking them, you can pretty much de-anonymize anything given the right amount of data as a starting point. And the best analogy I can give is a puzzle, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, if, if I give you a puzzle and it has, uh, sorry, if I give you pieces from a puzzle, let's say there are five pieces. Now, two of those pieces are the top left and the top right corner, and one piece goes in the middle, right? Mm -hmm. You know this is a very small puzzle because by giving you the corners, I've already given you some perspective of like how big or small this puzzle is, right? Yeah. Now... Okay. If I give you five pieces and none of them go together and there are no corners, you have no clue how big this puzzle is because right. you don't have enough information in there. But imagine if you have enough bits of the puzzle, right? Because you've been on the internet and collecting data for so long, 
you can suddenly start even squinting and just guessing, ah, yeah, this is a puzzle about X or this is a puzzle about Y. Mm -hmm. And without even looking at the whole picture, you can just go, oh, yeah, Tim goes to this website. Oh, yeah, he's a he's a 30-year-old male in this place. Okay, move on. And, and, and actually, no. <laughs> actually, if you think about it, this is this is uh, the, the mind-logical process of Tim and Gwena, and you know, that's nothing compared to a supercomputer. <laughs> exactly, yeah. 20,000 different scenarios in 10 minutes, right? Like, you'd be like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. okay, is it this one? No, let's, let's iterate through. And this is what machine learning it's actually means. Yeah, it's yeah. even <laughs> just figure it out until it gets it right. Um, Let me just sit there with my quantum computer and just <laughs> like crunch a million records until exactly. I find you, and then I will move on to the next person. Right? <laughs> like, I, I think, I think credit agencies is my it's my favorite example as well about you know the fact that every everyone knows everything about you from your finance and spend data and who you are, where you're spending money, and like your income, whatever, right? Because mm -hmm. finance companies that's their role, right? That's their job to figure all that out. Um, and if you then think about so if anyone is interested in finding out what Experian knows about you, search Mosaic. So the, the Mosaic scores and codes are what um, Experian have and do sell to other companies. Um, I've worked with bits of this data before, and it's like you can basically they have groups. And it's like um, it's as granular as this is a Caucasian middle, um, middle income family who have three cars and um, two children. That like that's that's the level of like granularity goes to. It's like this is the profile of this person. Now, now chuck in IP address data, chuck in um, anything you might know about them as a person, and you can probably say yeah. well, it's one of these families here. So this is this is who you yeah. are, and then you can just say, well, that's enough for me to go forward and be like, just spam them. It will stick with one, not two. So then you've got your person. So this is how it all works. Yeah. Right? It's it's yeah, yeah, yeah. it's super fascinating and scary at the same time. But I think this is where uh, legislation at GDPR is going to come into play because the the sort of path from A to B with this sort of crunch to find out who the person is that's going to be that's going to have to be very very restricted and controlled. So they're going to have the, people are going to have to have these people called data controllers in their companies. Mm -hmm who have to be aware of every single transaction of data going on both internally and externally. Um, and it's funny because the, the legislation is when it came out, everyone was like, oh, yeah, it's just European companies. But if you read it, it's like, well, actually, is anyone that provides an, uh, a service to a citizen of Europe, which is basically every global company ever. <laughs> yeah. It's like, <laughs> is there someone in uh, Europe using Apple? Yes. Okay. Apple are liable. Is there someone using Amazon? Yes. Amazon are liable. Like all of these big companies, they can't just move their headquarters and be like, oh, we don't pay tax here. Like they will get yeah. stung by this. And it's uh, something crazy like um, 10, five to or five or 10% of revenue or 20 million euros, whichever's higher. So you're mm -hmm. going to get hit. Like if you don't pay everyone about how you're presenting your pers personal identifiable data, you're going to get hit hard. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, uh, GDP uh, is is interesting, but uh, I have a bee in my bonnet about the EU. Um, if you go to the EU website, you know it's got a big GDPR countdown: eighty days, eleven hours, and <laughs> one minute fifty eight seconds. As I look at it now, before GDPR kicks in, right? And I've got to be brutally honest: these guys have no clue about data and privacy. Mm -hmm. The things and policies, I mean, it's the EU we all have to thank for the massive banner that comes up on the top of a website that says, did you know this website uses cookies? Like, <laughs> <Again>. <laughs> and it's, it's 
it's it just misses the mark every time they miss the angle they miss the mark and they never really get down to the nitty-gritty thing like nothing about gdpr is going to stop facebook from doing background face recognition on my photos mm -hmm. all it's going to do is make it even less apparent to me as a customer that they do this and okay you can throw all this regulation and you know put in all these fines but i guarantee you the eu will not be able to even keep up with the amount of infringements this thing is going to cause and so i always i i always kind of i hate regulation when it's delivered by like an entity like the eu because more often than not they miss the mark they don't actually know sort of what's going on i think governments actually have a much better capability of doing it this themselves and i'm looking forward to our government actually coming into play and maybe adding a little bit of gdpr plus you know yeah. <laughs> and just making it a little bit smarter um but you know one one other thing i also just like to to, to highlight to people and you know we talk about companies investing in you know big computer farming all this data and there's it's this perspective People always think of themselves as an entity, as a one-time entity, right? So when I get something through my letterbox uh, from Pizza Hut, the reason they're sending that to me is because they want me to buy a pizza today. No, that's not why they're sending you a pizza through the mailbox. The reason they're sending you a Pizza Hut flyer through the mailbox is because in your lifetime as an individual doing business to them, you're worth hundreds of pounds, maybe even thousands of pounds. Look at Amazon. Mm -hmm. The lifetime business that I offer them is well into the <laughs> tens of thousands now. <laughs> okay? This is what companies are actually going for. They're actually spending all of this money just to get your lifetime business. And that's why some of these companies will spend maybe two to three hundred pounds per person on acquisition. Because if you nail that acquisition... Yep. and they have good retention capabilities, you're going to generate them thousands of income over decades. This, this, and, 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 and this is what they're going for. Yeah, this reminds me of a chat I had with um, George Matthew. Um, so George Matthew was the ex-president um, of Alteryx, and now he's yep. working for Kesbury, which is a drawing company. And I was talking to him, like, I find it so weird that Alteryx promoted ads will put down on my timeline. Like, do you not see who I am? Like, I've literally got Alteryx in my profile, and I'm still getting it. He's like, okay, yeah, but... Um, it's just your profile. You're just a guy that works with data. I was like, yeah, okay. Um, but then he was like, well, how much would this cost? I was like, okay, it's going to cost, I don't know, a thousand. He was like, no, it cost me five to $10 a month to put that advert there. I was like, right. And he was like, well, now, if I convert one person from that advert, put them into the funnel of our sales team, and then we sell a license, like bear in mind that Ultrax license is a three grand a year, three to five grand a year over the span of three years. <laughs> This like George is like well I'm not, I'm not laughing right because I'm spending such a, a little amount of time and my return on investment is ridiculously high, so yeah. there's no reason for me not to. It's the same thing with Pizza Hut right? Like you you put something through a door and the return on investment of that the cost of putting that through your door and then say if you put it through hundred doors and ten people buy a pizza then pff, done I'm, you're sorted you've got more business you've got more income, and then exactly and another thing I'll add here is loyalty cards. Like, we've all got those stamp loyalty cards of a coffee shop or a yeah. pasta place we go to quite regularly. And yeah. you just want that, you know, I'll get 10 and then I get one free. It's like, well, actually, you've, you've spent, what, if it's £5 the pasta, you buy 10 as £50 and you're getting <laughs> one free? Okay, you're, you're basically saving, like, <laughs> that much. It's not much at all. But you will go for that because you just see, I want that return on investment. Um, yeah, exactly. 
And, and the other thing here is, um, and you know, we, we're very deep into the so what's at this point. I, f- I forgot to mention that when we actually started this. Yeah. But, <laughs> but the other thing is, um, when you're looking at data, so we're talking a lot about it being collected. And, you know, some, some companies are very good. You know, take Google and take Facebook, for example. They'll mm. let you download your data. And as a citizen, you think, oh, how empowering this is. You know, this is great that I can download my data. What I'll say to people is, have you ever tried doing that? Okay. Number one, most companies don't have a good mechanism that will actually allow you to do that, even though they claim that that's possible. Um, a good example is RunKeeper. And I try and download my data off RunKeeper. It's the most unmaintained service that sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And support will openly tell me, yeah, it's not working at the moment. Um, come back later, basically. All right, fine. I won't do that. I'll use their API. I'll get the data. Number two, uh, download your data off uh, Google Takeout, right? Mm-hmm. Google Takeout, very simple to use interface. The easiest interface I think I've come across for downloading the data that a company has about you in one file swoop. However, I don't recommend you try it because you're going to get back gigabytes that you will have no clue what to do with, mm-hmm. okay? Number one, most of them are in formats that most humans don't understand, <laughs> like JSON or XML or whatever. Like, <laughs> like thank, thanks, Google. Thanks for all this data. But I, I literally have no clue how to process it or even read it or even understand it for, for a matter of fact, unless, you know, it's like a geek tool built for geeks, but no yeah. one else, basically. But, you know, the feature's there. So EU, thank you very much. We'll, we'll, we'll carry on dancing in the sunlight. Um, <laughs> and, and then number three, you you just you just have no idea the scale of what you're asking when you say download all my data. <laughs> I did this. It took seven days for Google to generate the uh, the the download. The mm. download had to be split up into forty seven segments, each two terabytes big. Okay. <laughs> I'm so thankful I have a computer that's capable to take all of those zip files, open them and dump them somewhere. Dump because, them somewhere yeah. yeah, exactly. Because I, like I, you have no hope if you're an everyday consumer, just no hope. And, and this is the thing. The download feature when you don't make it easy for people to understand what you actually hold for them it mm-hmm. is, is not good enough. Companies need to be displaying this information in easy to digest ways. So being able, for example, to let you browse sections of your data just on the service itself so that you can say, actually, I want to know what you have about me. And then you get a list. Okay, here's everything we have. Here are the timelines we have stuff for. Here's like a density diagram that shows you how much data we have about you during this period of time. It has location. And Google does this sometimes in the Google Maps uh, uh, app you can go to the history tab and it shows you a history of everywhere you've been it's kind of yeah. scary but it's it's a bit like moves but you know that's a really good way of displaying to you okay look we have a pretty good awareness of everywhere you've been and this is the kind of level of detail that we have it at and right. if you see that and you go i don't like this then the you know the switch off location tracking should be right there at the bottom of the page because you've, you've seen it and you don't like it so you want to switch it off and that's the kind of, you know, level of um, integration between privacy, but also surfacing this information to people that we really need and doing it in a way that's digestible by everyday people. Maybe everyone's data literacy skills will go up. So JSON files and all these XML files will be, you know, palatable to everyone. But mm-hmm. I highly doubt that's going to be anytime soon. Yeah, I guess we're, we're, we've just stumbled into the now, right? The, the sort yeah. of... the the. 
once people are more, I think the data literacy point is is key here. If once people are more aware and how un, understand exactly how their data is collected as well as used, and also that they can also use it, they can get yeah. benefits from it. Um, then it becomes a bit more, bit more palatable. And but I think making sense of it is is key, right? Like making sense of the world you live in as well as the the parameters you have and the controls you can put in place to um, block your privacy. For example, it's I know people that are like, well, I'm going to pay uh, 15, 20 pounds a year for a VPN service so that wherever I go, I'm not able to be tracked as a, this is Tim and Grano or this is Rapid Mystery. Me. I literally do that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> because, because the other, like, you know, when you, when you join uh, an, uh, your internet service provider, when you're on public Wi-Fi, all of these things are planting something or getting something out of your device. And you know, free Wi-Fi isn't free because they're getting that information out of you, right? Like they're Yeah, yeah. I think I think I was working at a client once and we talked about like, well, you just use Wi-Fi hotspots because you can track someone's journey around um just uh just the, the actual shopping center. It was a shopping center client, and we were like, we could just you can just have it ping the router and you can see at this point this person's here, at this point this person here, and the transaction fee is their data, the service they were quite we're, we're getting back is free Wi-Fi. So yeah. So the, the, the scary thing about free Wi-Fi, and this is why I always use a VPN whenever I'm connected to free Wi-Fi, mm -hmm. is that marketing companies use that as a way of discovering your IP address. And then they store that information and train their marketing, um, you know, their cookies and, and trackers to then track those IP addresses. So they don't acquire your IP address, um, your device IP address and MAC address from mm -hmm. your home because, they, they, you know, your, your ISP doesn't sell that data. Where they'd get that from is these free hotspots that you get, you know, around. And, you know, companies do sell that. That's why it's a free Wi-Fi. Someone has to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And they're paying for it by selling the uh, the MAC addresses and IP addresses that are coming from that specific router. And then that gets put into an algorithm. It then geolocates you because guess what? If you keep walking past Starbucks, you don't know it, but your phone's pinging the Wi-Fi every single time you walk past. <laughs> so yeah. these companies have really good situational awareness of where you go, where you work, and all of those uh, that, that sort of thing. So I mean, I'm not pro I'm not promoting VPN services to everyone, but I think if you're connecting to public Wi-Fi hotspots quite often it's a really good idea to get vpn not least because it's also a really common way to get hacked because people go into those cafes with imitation networks that say they're starbucks or say they're costa you log on thinking you're logging on to the real thing but what they've done is basically injected themselves between you and the internet and they're just watching you do everything you're doing and there's actual devices you can buy with Raspberry Pi, which are about 30 quid mm -hmm. off, off Amazon of all the places that will do this for you. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Another thing I'd recommend people do is um, there's this um, challenge that was run. Um, I forget the name. Let me just Google it a second. Um, it's called the uh, Privacy Paradox. And it's actually another podcast. I'll put it in the show notes. Um and what they did was they basically had a three or four episode um, sort of journey into privacy. And what I'll say about this, what about it is this. I mean, they're quite sensational. It's an American podcast. It's called Note to Self. And they did this thing called the Privacy Paradox in partnership with another organization. But you can subscribe to it now. You send them your email. And what they'll do is they'll send you over five days. They'll send you an email saying today 
try this, find out this about your privacy, go to this setting on your phone and look at the options. Are any of these ticked? That means these apps have access to A, B, C, and D. And I remember listening to it and I was quite chuffed with myself because I had a very good awareness of stuff that was going on. There's even a couple of things in there that were like really irked me. I was like, oh, I really didn't know that that bit of information. So I highly suggest people uh, check it out. It's going to be in the show notes or you can just Google Privacy Paradox. It'll be the top hit. Mm-hmm. And um, listen to the, the five episodes um, uh, in the podcast. I think it's a really informative and really interesting way of looking at the topic because I don't think everyone has an issue with privacy. I think people just don't know when they're being taken, you know, taken to town. And just simply knowing what companies know about you mm-hmm. sometimes will give people a peace of mind. But in other places, it will allow them to take more control by using either apps that you know look after their privacy better, or something as simple as VPN services, or even you know getting a, a phone that supports privacy in a much more um, sort of uh, stable way, both Android or iPhone. You know, it doesn't have to be necessarily Apple. I think that's like a really useful step that you can take because it's such a big topic, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it also, given that, you know, once because we're more mobile, we think that we're maybe we're doing we're giving away less data because you're like, well, it's fine with my mobile phone. But in fact, you're giving away more because you've got iAds <laughs> and stuff on there as well. And it's just yeah. you have to be really aware of all of the different things you're giving away. I think once once it's that, that literacy as well, as well as the data literacy comes comes forward and people are more aware and more diligent about what they're doing, uh, then we sort of move forward and we we get to the acceptance stage of this process exactly exactly and then the last thing i'd recommend to do before we start to close out the podcast is you try and collect your own data yourself you have no real understanding or perspective unless you start downloading data yourself something as simple as going on to online banking downloading your statements um for the last maybe decade and just put it into one excel Uh, chuck it into some visualization tool and just see what kind of story someone could tell just looking at your bank statement and that's the that's the kind of picture your bank tells other people about you that's where the credit rate reference um ratings come from Mm -hmm. or something as simple as your running data you know you start running from one place and you finish in one place how often is that the start the finish line your home right You, you think about that before you share it out on these platforms Again, it's a very simple thing. But if you go running enough, uh, as Strava recently found out, you start revealing things like secret military bases that you're not supposed to reveal. Because <laughs> 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 people are running around these military bases with Strava on their phone and they do this nice you know, community thing. I say, hey, here's a map of where everyone runs in the world. Zoom into some place and you're like, hmm, there's not supposed to be something here, but it right. looks like people are doing laps around do you something. Do doing laps or something? <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine that. Where could this be? Um, So just something as simple as, you know, downloading your data will give you an awareness of, you know, what what you have. I have something on my blog called Tab TQS. And one of the best demos I do in 10 minutes is of Google. I download location data from Google and I show people the columns that Google has. It has something like accuracy of your location, direction, speed, accuracy of speed, elevation, accuracy of elevation. They're doing really sometimes good work and also really, you know, scary work to get even more precise about what they know about you. So by doing that, you'll see you'll see this information and and I think you'll be better placed. Okay. Okay. Good good place to end the end the the pod. Absolutely. And before I end, 
it is a, it's a quite a long episode and <laughs> we didn't stick to our time limit but so it's a good topic yeah. um I, I i'm absolutely you know failing today at the very beginning of the podcast i forgot to highlight that we have a website <laughs> we do we have a website and a twitter handle now and a twitter handle and they're both the same thing at three com is the website and three pod is the twitter handle so uh, you can now find our podcasts on there um, you can also still find us on soundcloud itunes uh, i believe pocket cast as well now i'm a big overcast user so i listen on, on overcast um we love your feedback some of you've been sending us emails some of you've been tweeting us directly tagging us in in tweets we love that we'd love to hear more feedback both uh, you know critical and um positive so please send it in and we'll continue to sort of adapt and uh, change the podcast as we go along uh, but that's been it that's been episode three and uh, ravi will probably be back in a couple of weeks right we will yeah yeah and um till then take care everyone and i'll see you soon tim cool take it easy